Good morning, Mount Hope. It's a pleasure to be here this morning, to be able to stand in front of you and to be able to bring the word this morning. So I want to start today by polling the audience. All right. Did you start the year with a New Year's resolution? Now, if you did, hold your hands up. Hold it high. Wow, we have five. <laughs> hold it high. We have a few. All right. Keep, keep your hands up. We're going to work our way down. If you kept your resolution for more than a day, keep it up. All right? If you kept your resolution for more than a week, keep it up. Good number. If you kept your resolution for more than three weeks, keep it up. All right? If you kept your resolution for more than a month, keep it up. Wow. If you kept your resolution for more than three months, keep it up. Well, I am impressed. <laughs> because you are among the 8% of us who actually keep our resolutions from, for more than three months. The University of Scranton did a study, and they said most people fall off the first to three weeks. And so give yourself a hand. We all start strong. The year starts off. We have these resolutions. I'm going to lose 40 pounds by the end of the year. I'm going to run a marathon from couch to a marathon by the end of the year. We're going to do all these great things. We start off strong. We have all the passion. We have the energy. We're ready to go. But somewhere, we lose steam. We get dis discouraged, make the wrong choices, a donut that morning. <laughs> we sometimes get, get distracted. Let's take, for instance... Tanjay uh, Pepio. He's a steeplechase runner for the University of Oregon. Let's take a look. Take my word for it. There's a moral to this story. Yeah, it looked like a coronation for Tanjay Pepio. He's getting the crowd. He wants the crowd to cheer his performance. And at the end, he gets pipped. He gets pipped by Marin Simon of Washington. And you just can't do this kind of stuff, Lewis. Take my word for it. There's a moral to this story. Yeah, it looked like a coronation. We get distracted. You see, Tanjay, the steeplechase is 3,000 meters. So for the first 2950 meters, he ran strong. He started well. He maintained a good pace. He ran ahead of the pack. The last 50 meters, something happened. He saw the crowd. And he decided, you know what? I'm ahead. I want them to cheer for me. And he got into it. Somewhere along the way, we lose focus. We get distracted and things kind of start falling apart. None of us have this in mind. We don't start something. We don't start the year off saying, you know what, come a week from now, I want it all to fall apart. We don't want, we don't start something with failure in mind. We don't start our lives thinking, you know what, I want to, I want to get up today and destroy someone's day. I don't, I don't get up in the morning and say, you know what, I want to have a lousy day today. We don't, we don't desire that. We don't want that. 
We don't hope to be a failure. We don't hope to hurt or hate. As you watch this clip, you're asking, he had an unexpected end. He ran with a goal in mind, but somehow ended up in the wrong place. How do I keep myself from having an unexpected end? How do I know when I'm distracted? How do I know when I'm straying from what I'm supposed to be doing to something else? How do I know when I'm on the wrong path? Or even if I'm heading in that direction, how do I, know, how do I avoid an unexpected end? This morning, we're going to look at the story of an unexpected end. 1 Samuel chapter 31, verses 1 through 6. And this is the end of Saul, the king of Israel. Now the Philistines were fighting against Israel, and the men of Israel fled before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. Now the Philistines overtook Saul and his sons, and the Philistines struck down Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malkishua, the sons of Saul. The battle pressed hard against Saul, and the archers found him, and he was badly wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor-bearer, draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and mistreat me. But his armor-bearer would not, for he feared greatly. Therefore Saul took his own sword and fell upon it. And when his armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell upon his sword and died with him. Thus Saul died. And his three sons, his armor bearer, and all his men on the same day together. We started the unexpected series a few months ago. We've been working through First Samuel. So we, we've gone, we've tracked through the stories of Samuel, with, through, of, through Saul, Jonathan, and the early, early years of David. The book of First Samuel primarily deals with the kingship or the rule of Saul. We see him... At the beginning stages where he is running after his father's donkeys, they are lost, and he goes searching after them when he is intercepted by Samuel the prophet who anoints him to become king. We see him when he is faithful and he leads Israel into victorious campaigns against the Philistines and the Amalekites and the Ammonites. We notice when things start to go wrong and pride creeps in. He gets a little arrogant. He disobeys explicit commands from God only to meet failure. We watch as Samuel declares that Saul has lost favor with God and that the kingship would be moved over to David. And last week, we see how things take a turn for the worse as instead of seeking God, Saul runs after a medium. He runs after the witch of Endor. This is where our passage settles today. After he seeks counsel, Saul, his sons, and his armies they go against the Philistines, but they're overtaken. Saul, the author mentions that three of Saul's four sons were killed in battle. Saul is injured as he is fighting. He's injured by a Philistine archer, and he is laying on the ground wounded. And he calls out to his armor bearer who would have stood right next to him, and he says, why don't you just go ahead and kill me now? Take that sword and kill me now. Get it over with. You see, he gives two reasons why he wants death so quickly. One is if he got captured, he would be captured by the Philistines. He says they're uncircumcised and I don't want them putting a hand on me. Second, he says they will mistreat me. In the ancient Near Near East, we notice that when a battle was fought and let's say the king was taken captive, they would mistreat him, 
They would torture him. They would mock him. They would parade him down the, down the towns to show that he was defeated. And Saul, he's looking, and he's looking ahead, and he knows what's coming at him. He says, I don't want any of these. And the armor bearer says, no. So what does Saul do? He falls on his own sword, and he dies there that day. The next day, the Philistines come in. They see Saul's dead body. They cut off his head. They take it. They parade it around town. They fasten his, they remove all his armor. They fasten his body on the temple walls. And here's the end of a man. Here's the end of a king. Here's the end of the representative of God. Here's the end of a man who was anointed to lead Israel. Here's a man who knew the joys and the blessings of the kingdom, but a man who cared about his own image more than what God had to say. The Philistines make a joke of the man, made light of his death, and in the process, no doubt, they profane the name of Jehovah, the God of Saul and the Israelites. So as we're reading this story, it conjures up tragedy. It seems tragic to us. But it's there for a purpose. And as we've worked through the series, we've been asking the question, why is this story or why is this account here in the book, first of all? The death of Saul stands as a reminder, as a cautionary tale to us today. You may ask, does the, Saul, does the life of Saul have anything to speak into my life? Does his death have something to say to me today? You see, St Saul starts off well. He had a great start. When we first encounter Saul, I mentioned a few moments ago, he's running after his father's donkey. He gets intercepted by Samuel, and he is anointed. In 1 Samuel 10, verse 1, the, the author writes, Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over the people Israel? And you shall reign over the people of the Lord, and you will save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. And this shall be a sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be the prince over his heritage. Keep those last few words in mind. A prince over his heritage. And in verses 6 through 7, the author continues, Then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, and he will, you will prophesy with them, and you will be turned into another man. Now when these signs meet you, do whatever your hand finds to do. For God is with you. A prince over his heritage. And God is with you. Saul starts off well. I mean, he starts off strong. He is anointed. He, is, he, he takes off. He's doing everything right. In all respects, Saul had everything he needed to become king. He was the first choice of his people. When they looked out, he was handsome. He was a head and shoulders above everybody else. He looked like a king. He looked like a warrior. He looked like a military guy. He was just the right person for the job. He possessed all qualities needed. And when he is anointed, not only does he have the physical qualities, now he has the spiritual qualities to be able to lead. You see, the Lord anoints his people to start strong. The Lord anoints you to start strong. You are anointed to have a strong start. 
As God's people, our journeys begin when we encounter the Lord for the first time. Maybe it was a friend who shared the word with us, or maybe it was something that we watched on TV, or somewhere, somehow, the word encountered us. It confronted us, and the Spirit of God led us into that truth, and we were able to say, God, I accept what you have done for me. I accept your salvation. I accept your sacrifice, and now I want to follow you. There is a moment where we, we, were, we had to deal with our our sins. There was a moment where we had, to, we had to wrestle with our past and say, God, I cannot do this without you. And we all have that moment. If I ask each and every one of you, you have a story. And I'm always impressed to hear the stories in this room. If there are 300 people sitting here, there are 300 unique stories of how God met you where you are. God anointed you. Think back to your own life when you first encountered the Lord. Think of the transformation that occurred from then till now. Think of how you have changed. He transforms the sinner into a developing saint. He transforms the addict and the alcoholic and the gambler to live free. He takes the liar and the cheat, and he takes them, and he brings them into the truth. This is not an overnight transformation, but it happens through the working of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit works in our lives. The Holy Spirit anoints us. The Holy Spirit leads us to have a strong start. But just like we do with our resolutions that we talked a few moments ago, we start off well. We have a great start, but something happens along the way. See, Saul's story reminds us of one thing. We are to live well, not falling victim to the distractions around us. See, Tanji, the runner that we talked about a few minutes ago, he started strong, but somehow got distracted enough in the last leg to come in second place. Tanji's story is somewhat, somewhat tame. You know, he, he ran that race, he learned his mistake, and from then on, he probably would never have committed the same thing. His decision at that point just affected him. But what happens when we get distracted and our decisions affect those around us? Let's take, for instance, Kenneth Lay. Maybe not a name familiar to you, but Kenneth Lay was born in 1942 in Tyrone, Missouri. He received his bachelor's and master's degree in economics from the University of Missouri. He earned a PhD in economics from Houston, and Ken Lay served his country in the U.S. Navy. From there, Lay had a great career. He, served, he worked for multiple energy companies. He worked for the, the public sector. He was the energy deputy undersecretary. He was the president of multiple companies. And finally, he, he became CEO of Enron Corporation. In 2001, Kenneth Lay had this fantastic plan that he would sell off millions of dollars worth of his stock. By that point, he had sold off $300 million dollars. Later that year, Enron filed for bankruptcy, the biggest bankruptcy the U.S. had seen to that point. 20,000 employees lost their jobs. Many more lost their life savings, and billions were lost in investor money. Ken Lay was indicted and found guilty on six counts of conspiracy and fraud. He was... He was scheduled to be sentenced in 2006, but just three months before he is sentenced, he passes away from a heart attack. Here's a man, great beginning, 
incredible mind, talented, gifted, best opportunities in the right place, doing, getting the right opportunities. But his decisions would cause people their lives, would cause people their livelihoods. It would not only affect him, but also destroy the lives of others. Kenneth Lay's story is not unique. You've heard stories of incredible talents like Lance Armstrong, Tiger Woods, Aaron Hernandez, Bill Cosby recently, or many politicians or even ministers who had just incredible lives. They had incredible beginnings. They started off strong, but somewhere along the way, they started going in the wrong path. They started taking the wrong decisions. They destroyed everything. While many of us may not rise to the pedigree or or may not rise to the prominence as these people, we are blessed with intelligence. We are blessed with talent. We are blessed with resources. We are given everything that our situations dictate. So the question is, how do I know if I'm making choices like they did? How do I know if I'm making choices like Ken Lay? How do I know if I'm making choices like... How do I know if I'm making choices like Saul? How do I know and how can I avoid an unexpected end? You are anointed to start strong. The Lord blesses you with his anointing, with his Holy Spirit to start strong. But you're also empowered to live strong. You start strong, but you continue living strong. The Lord anoints his people and he blesses them with his spirit because he demands that we be faithful to him. He demands through his scripture that we follow his every word. But sometimes in the journey of life, we take detours. When people die and are buried, one thing that's usual in most cultures is that their loved ones will put a tombstone. And on that tombstone, there might be a little saying, beloved father, beloved mother, or something that they loved or they enjoyed through their life. If I was to dig through 1 Samuel, and if I was to look for one phrase that defines Saul, I would find it in 1 Samuel 26, 21. And he says, behold, I have acted foolishly and made a great mistake. In simpler words, I have played the fool. If there's one phrase that defines Saul from beginning to end, I have played the fool. I was given everything to start off well. I had a great start. I had a great blessing. People loved me. But along the way, I made foolish decision after foolish decision. The choices that Saul makes moves him away one degree after another from the plan and the trajectory God had for him. So how do you and I play the fool sometime? How does the church play the fool? How do those people that we mentioned a few moments ago, how do they play the fool in our own lives? God's people play the fool when they neglect the counsel of God and turn to their own wisdom. See, Saul, he started off, his right-hand man was Samuel. Everything God needed to say to Saul, he said through Samuel, and Saul went accordingly. At some point, Saul decides, you know what? I don't need the counsel of God anymore. He's told me to do this, but I think I'd rather do it my way. God tells him to destroy the Amalekites, but he refuses to do so, and he decides, I'll do it my way. 
He, he's commanded to destroy the livestock, but he says, no, this is, this is going to be my war. Don't we do this? Even as children, we're, we're kind of, we're built that way. We want things our way. And when we don't, you've noticed children who throw a tantrum uh, at Walmart on, uh, on aisle six. They just don't want to do what their parents tell them to do. They throw a tantrum on the ice cream aisle. They say, I want this or I want that. Just run down to the toy section. And people who work at Walmart, that's the one section they hate. <laughs> Go down to the toy section and you will see human nature at its worst. I want it my way. If I could eat a certain food, I would eat it for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. But if I did, I wouldn't be standing here today. You see, we are designed to do a certain thing, but in our human nature, we want to do the opposite. A battle every Christian will have to fight is this. Do I do it my way or do I do it God's way? This is something a, a Christian will have to make a conscious decision every morning. The moment you wake up to the moment you lay, your, uh, lay yourselves to sleep, you're going to make a decision. Do I do it my way or do I do it God's way? God's people play the fool when they disobey God in seemingly small matters leading up to bigger ones. You see, Saul's life is marked with disobedience. From day one till the end, he, he disobeyed even in the small things. Our, is, our, our ability to disobey God is kind of like a muscle. The more you do it, the stronger it becomes. The more you disobey, you disobey in the small things, the stronger that feeling that, that it has a power over you. As people of God, we do not have the luxury of choosing what portion of Scripture we're going to live by. We do, not have the poor, we do not have the luxury, we do not have the freedom to say, you know what, God, this looks good. I'll live by this and ignore the rest. If we disobey one, we've disobeyed it all. In, in the Old Testament, when God gives his people the Ten Commandments, one commandment, if it was broken, all ten were broken. As people of God, we don't have the luxury, we don't have the freedom to say, to pick and choose how we would live. God's people play the fool when they disobey in the least. God's people pay the fool when they cover up disobedience to God with religious excuses. And as people who go to church, we become somewhat perfect at this. It just becomes who we are. When confronted, when Saul sins and he's confronted, what does he say? Saul brings the Amalekites, he destroys most of them, he brings the king, and he brings their livestock. And he says, when Samuel confronts him, he says, but I brought the livestock for a sacrifice to the Lord. I brought it so we could sacrifice to the Lord when God's explicit commandment was destroy everything. He decides what he would obey. But And when he is confronted, he is not willing to say, Lord, I'm sorry, I will do as you will. But instead, he makes religious excuses. Too often, we do the same things. When you, when you sit with people and when you talk about sin in their lives, you'll hear, you will hear excuses like, we're Christians, but we're Christians and sinners. Hey, no one's perfect. I'm not perfect, I'm forgiven. Theologically, this is correct. But too often we use this as an excuse for our sin. You may hear the excuse, it isn't illegal. What the law of the land demands and what the word demands are two different things. You can cheat someone and be okay 
according to the books, the law of the land, but according to the word you have sinned against your brother. It may be okay to upcharge your client as a lawyer, a doctor, a mechanic, but is it okay by the word of the Lord? It isn't illegal. It's just business. It's just school. It's just a basketball game. This has nothing to do with my Christianity. Truly following Jesus requires that we make changes in all aspects of our life. Not just behavior and dress code on a Sunday morning when we show up to worship, but every single day, Monday through Sunday. If we treat others shamefully at work, in our businesses, on the court, in our recreation, we're not properly representing Jesus in our lives. We make excuses like eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. I'm just treating them the way they treated me. In our culture today, with everything that's going on, this is, a, this is an excuse we get too caught up in. They attacked us first, so let's destroy them with everything we've got. They, they bring this against us, so let's go after them. As Christians, we have the off, too often we put on a victim mentality and say, we were attacked first, so let's destroy them. An eye for an eye. They're not Christians. Some people have this misguided belief that you, just because they're not in our fold, you don't have to treat them right. There are people outside of Mount Hope. There are people outside of the people of God. So let's destroy them. Let's uh, abuse them. Let's retaliate against them. Let's uh, swindle. Let's do whatever it takes. You've heard it said, what happens in Vegas? Too often in our lives, we live We behave in ways that we think God cannot see us in certain aspects of our life. When we're there, we're hidden. In reality, he sees everything. God's people play the fool when we cover up disobedience to God with religious excuses. And I'll continue. God's people play the fool when they persuade themselves that they're trying to do the will of God when they know for a fact that they're not. God's people play the fool when they allow jealousy and hatred to master them and deprave them. Saul was... Excuse me. Oh, this, this just came off, so I'll use this. God's people play the fool when they knowingly fight against God's will. You see, Saul knew that David was to take over his throne. So what does Saul do for the last few years of his rule? He goes after David every single day, trying to destroy what's God's plan for Israel. He tried to kill David. He tried to destroy David. Sometimes we do the same thing in our lives. We know what God has planned for us, but we often say, God, I want to do it my way. I know you want me to make up with this person. I know you want me to patch up things that we've been, we haven't talked for the last 10 years. I know you want me to patch up, but I'd rather hold a grudge. I know I would rather work that extra hour at work. I would rather bring that extra income than to spend time with my family. I would rather do this than the will of God. Too often we play the fool when we knowingly fight against God's will. And I'll continue. Last week, we talked about how we turn to other sources for God's wisdom. We play the fool when we turn into anything else other than God to seek counsel. 
We, God's people play the fool when we let pride and arrogance build up. You see, Saul was anointed to become king, but somewhere along the way, he let pride take over. He, he, there's, no, there's no question that he abused the power that was entrusted to him. He made the mistake of thinking that ultimately he was king and not God. Do you remember those verses that when Samuel anoints, David, uh, Samuel anoints Saul, he says, I made you a prince over his people, over God's people. And here is Saul thinking, this is all mine. Too often we let pride and we let arrogance get into our own way. And we are mistaken into thinking that ultimately we are in control. And finally, God's people play the fool when we compromise on small things. When compromise is allowed in one area, it leaks into other areas of our lives. It allows lies and deceit and error to creep into life and take over. You and I know people who have turned away from God, who have turned away from their families, who have destroyed their lives because of compromise in integrity, of compromise in their, in their ethics. They gave in on little things. And eventually, it destroyed them completely. God's people play the fool when they compromise. The reality is in this life, we are, we are going to make these detours. We're going to do wrong just like Saul did. And the reality is we have no power to fix it. There is nothing in us that says, you know what, I'm going to try hard. I'm going to do everything right. I'm going to make sure I travel the right path. I'm going to make sure I make the right decisions. We do not have that ability. So where does this ability come from? You are, you are anointed to start strong. You are empowered to live strong. The power comes from above. In Romans 8, one of my favorite chapters in the New Testament, Paul, he's writing to the church, and he says, the Spirit is where your power is. He's reminding the church that the Spirit is the one. The Holy Spirit is the one that empowers you. The Holy Spirit sets you free from the law of sin and death. The Holy Spirit helps you fulfill the just requirements of Word of God. The Holy Spirit gives you life and peace. It is by the Spirit who dwells in you that God will raise you from the dead. The Holy Spirit helps you put to death the wrong things of the body. The Holy Spirit leads the sons of God. The Holy Spirit bears witness that we are the children of God, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness, even when we do not know how to pray. It is the Holy Spirit that comes in. You are empowered. You are anointed to start strong. You are empowered to live strong. It is the Holy Spirit that will help you and keep you when you're on that track and you're running that race, when you are running that business, when you are running that practice, when you are running the shop, when those times of critical ethical decisions come in. It is the Holy Spirit that will remind you of the word of the Lord. The Spirit of God overcomes our weaknesses. The Lord anoints you to start strong empowers you to live strong. But then the question remains, how does one who is, who is anointed and who is empowered die the way Saul did? How, is one, how does one who, who has everything that he needs die in shame and disgrace? In First Chronicles chapter 10, verse 13 and 14, 1 Chronicles chapter 10 is very similar to 1 Samuel 31 that we're reading today, except that the, the author includes a little bit of this commentary. And let me read this for you. So Saul died 
for his breach of faith. He broke faith with the Lord that he did not keep the commandment of the Lord and also consulted a medium seeking guidance. He did not seek guidance from the Lord, therefore the Lord put him to death and turned the kingdom over to David. You see, when you look at Saul's death, you realize how tragic and how terrible and how horrible it is. But the greatest tragedy in all this was that it did not have to turn out this way. He was anointed to start strong, empowered to live strong. But the truth of the matter is he chose his own path. He chose to make the wrong decisions. He chose to go against God. He chose to compromise his ethics. He chose to disobey the commandments of God. He chose to, to disobey what Saul had to say. He chose to make religious uh, excuses. He chose his own destiny. And he lived with the audacity to say, Lord God, I don't need you. I will live and die as I please. The author writes that God took the kingdom of kingdom from Saul and gave it to David. And if you really think about it, you can look at David's life and say he is a sinner just as much as Saul. As a matter of fact, he may be a bigger sinner than Saul. David committed adultery. He committed murder. He committed all kinds of sins. Yet the word of God refers to David as a friend of God. What is the difference between Saul and David, you may ask? Saul sins, David sins, but every time Saul commits sin, he is given the opportunity to, to return to God. He does not take it. He, 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 uh, he confesses his sins. He says, Lord, I've been foolish. I've done wrong, but he refuses to repent. On multiple occasions, he is given the opportunity to turn back from what he is doing, but he genuinely never repented. Too often, like Saul, we put on a show of confession. We put on a show of saying, Lord, I'm sorry, and the next day turn right back to what we were doing. True repentance means that we do not rationalize and shift blame. Saul had someone else to blame for everything that went wrong. Saul found a way to shift culpability from himself to someone else. True repentance also displays a changed behavior. In our own lives, if you sit and you think for a moment, God, I have sinned, I've confessed, but have I really changed my ways? God commissions his people to end strong. God anoints you to start strong, empowers you to live strong, and commissions you to end strong. See, the author of the book of Hebrews charges us in Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every way and every sin which clings to us so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Do you remember Tanjay that we talked about in the beginning? He let himself get entangled. He let himself get distracted. God calls his people to push through to the end. He anoints you to start strong. He empowers you to live strong, and he commissions you to end strong. So where do you find yourself this morning? Now I'll ask the, the worship team to come up. Where do you find yourself? Do you find yourself like Saul? Do you find yourself like David? Do you find yourself making excuses 
for things that have gone wrong, the choices that were made wrong. We're all at different points in our journey. Some of us have just started. Some of us have been on this journey for years. And to you, I say, keep going. You are doing well. Keep relying on the Holy Spirit. Continue what you have started. The Lord and everything, he's empowered you to keep going. But there are a few in this room that have not even begun this journey. Maybe this is the first time you're coming to this church. Someone invited you and you said, you know what, I'll come check it out. Maybe this is the first time you're encountering the message of a Christ, of a Savior who died on the cross to restore you and me back to his kingdom. We were all sinners. We were all in a place that we could do nothing about it. But he empowers us. He comes down. He sends his son to die on the cross for us. And maybe this is the first time you're encountering it. Maybe you have been trying to check it out for a while and you see a church full of hypocrites. You see people who confess that they're, who say that they're Christians, but they live a different way. I challenge you, if this is, if you have never encountered this Jesus, to press in, to look for the relationship with God and ignore it. Do not let someone else's sin change your ways. Do not let someone else's wrongs keep you from a relationship with God. But there are a few who, just like Saul, may have taken a few detours, may have taken a wrong turn somewhere along the way. To you, Saul's story stands as a challenge. You may be blessed with a wonderful beginning, a great spiritual legacy. You may have started well, but somewhere along the way, distractions got the hold of you. Somewhere along the way, you sacrifice your integrity. Somewhere along the way, you made a choice that made you swerve away from what God had for you. But here's another opportunity that the Lord gives. Before you leave this place, I would ask you to take a few moments. Seek the Lord. Would you examine, ask him to help you examine your life? If you have sinned against God but now wish to live for him, what does your future look like? Repent, turn from sin, and receive the grace of God, the free, full mercy of God. True, there may be consequences for your past, but with God you are transformed. He says when, when the Spirit comes in, he changes everything. There is hope because God still works in his people. Before you leave here today, would you ask him, to deal with your own hearts. Remember, you're anointed to start strong. You're empowered to live strong and you're commissioned to end strong. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the word that confronts us. The word that reminds us that we are on the straight and narrow and that we have no power to do it except by your Son, except by your Holy Spirit. Father, we rely on that Holy Spirit this morning. If there have been moments in our lives that we have chosen the wrong things, we have chosen to disobey you, we have chosen to sacrifice our ideals, we have compromised our ethics, Father, I pray that you would, you would deal with our hearts. May your Holy Spirit speak to us. Father, we thank you for your hope that of a life eternal with you. We thank you for your forgiveness. 
We ask these in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.